Welcome back to another episode of In the Aisle. As always, I'm your host, Christina. Thank you all for joining me again today. I'm sure you're all very excited to hear my conversation with Nick that we'll be wrapping up today, and I'll be sure to get into that with you soon. The Now, this episode of In the Aisle is going to be very different than anything I've done before. Part of the reason for that is, you know, the site that I use to create this podcast, and you've heard of me say this before, but it's not the best platform. Like, it it does a really great job, you know, distributing my podcast, and I'm grateful for to be using it for that reason. But in terms of editing audio, it really ends up messing up what I'm doing. So I had the tragic accident of, you know, everything I had made for the analysis was completely screwed up to the point where it was pretty much unusable. And I didn't want to stop plan that I had to get Nick's interview out. I want to make sure you could hear what he had to say. I didn't want to put that on hold because honestly, it would take me a few days to make up for like everything that happened with this audio. So I'm making the executive decision to just go through this episode with the interview in place. And I was going back and forth on this, everybody. I can't even tell you how hard of a decision this was to make for me to be able to, you know, skip the analysis because that's that's truly the part I love the most about doing these. But like I said, with as much work I had to do and I wanted to make sure I got this out today so you could hear what Nick had to say about DC statehood and our conversation there, I just thought that this was ultimately the best move to make. The good news is, though, I have found an alternative to record my podcast on now. So hopefully audio issues are not going to be a thing that's going to keep happening in the future with this podcast. And I'm really keeping my fingers crossed that it's going to work. I've tested it out a little bit. It sounds really good. So I think moving forward, that's what I'm going to use. And hopefully that's going to you know help these episodes a lot, make them a little bit more clearer and not going to be as jumbled for the audio, which is the goal for me. But yeah, I'm really uh, I'm really bummed that it didn't work out. But like I said, I wanted to make sure that Nick's information got out today so you all could take a chance of listening to that. The one thing I will say about this that kind of makes me feel a little bit better about the analysis not being in here and kind of helped me make the executive decision on this is just the title of the episode. You know, it says same old, same old. You know, part of the reason why I picked that and I um, was going to you know mention in this episode anyway, and I probably should have put it in part one, but that's okay. You know, a lot of the things that we saw this week, it was basically like different headlines, but the same story. Like with student loan stuff, I mean, that really, not a lot has changed with that. It's just a matter of, you know, will he or won't he when it comes to Biden and signing an executive order? And of course, with Representative Gates, I mean, we've seen scandal in the past with politicians, even this year with with um, allegations and things of that nature. And it just seems like the same thing's happening with that as well. And that's what I put in the analysis, kind of expressing my frustrations in terms of that. And even too, with stuff that I talked about with Arkansas and Virginia and their legislation, like it's like kind of like one step forward, two steps back where, you know, we make progress in this country and then something else happens where it becomes sort of like a backslide. So it's kind of the the same old, same old, just again, different headlines, but the same story. And it's stuff that we've talked about before on this podcast. So like I said, I, I felt a little bit better not having the analysis in this episode. This is the only time this is going to happen unless another, hopefully, fingers crossed, everybody, not another extenuating circumstance is going to pop up. But again, it's 
growing pains with this podcast is for somebody who's never edited audio before. And this has been a huge hurdle I've had to overcome. And I think I found a solution that's going to work better for everybody here. So thank you so much for understanding. I really appreciate it. And if you want to hear more about the situations too, especially when it comes to Arkansas and Virginia um, with their you know, the transphobic and you know, trans-friendly legislation that was passed this week, like, please feel free to shoot me a DM at In the Isle podcast on Instagram. And I'd be happy to go over it with you. And, you know, I'm honestly, like I said, kind of bummed I can't have it in this episode, but you know what? We're going to have a fresh start next week. Hopefully the new software I'll be using will be way better. And the episodes are going to, I think, be way better as well with, with using that. The last thing I'll say before jumping into part two, I have the conversation with Nick is that, you know, everybody knows at this point in part two of episodes, I always give a fun fact about myself and, you know, as a pick me up and something that make me you know so excited about making these podcasts, especially after all the technical difficulties I ran into this week, um, I decided I would, you know, do this again and, you know, have something be kind of normal than what I usually do in part two. Like everything worked with each other. And and today's fun fact is not one that's political because I usually switch off between the two. Um, but it does have some like connections to the political world. So that's so why I thought it, I would share it. Um, so when I was in the second grade, I, you know, had my birthday right before the school year started, and my aunt bought me this velvet, like silver purple pink like striped blazer and you know like when you get gifts from like adults when you're a kid like they always will give you clothes and you always were just kind of like oh like I wish I got a toy instead or something like that and like you're like oh clothes are boring Uh uh-uh guys not this blazer I thought this blazer was it I thought it was the peak of fashion I was like this thing is so cool it had like sparkly buttons on it and I like felt like such a like a boss when I had it on. So one day I just really wanted to wear it to school. I was like, this is it. Like I need to show everybody, you know, what I'm made of and like who, what's up. And my mom, I remember her trying to convince me, like, sweetie, like this is kind of more of like a holiday thing. Like, are you sure you want to wear it to school? And I was like, listen, mom, you don't you don't know fashion, all right? This is going to get me like so many friends. Like I was convinced. And not only that, like at that time, I just like loved the idea of like being a lawyer. And I was like, I'm already halfway there. I ha- I'm dressing the part. I just have to go to school for it now. So, you know, long story short, I wore the blazer to school and it definitely, you know, was a conversation piece. It was definitely a conversation starter. Um, did it make all the friends that I thought it was going to make with me wearing that blazer? No. <laughs> and you know it's it's okay looking back on that it's just it's funny like it's just I can laugh at it I only wore it once to school after that I I did put it into retirement did not wear it any further but I just uh sharing the story because I I like to you know point out that like at a young age I just had like an interest in like government and politics and like how like it's so funny because everybody I've like interviewed on this podcast like all we all kind of have like gained our interest at like the, around the same age, like seven or eight years old. So like that's kind of where like mine didn't stem from, but like one of the things I think the reason why I'm here today doing this. And yeah, if my if my aunt, if you're listening to this, if you feel the need to buy me another striped blazer, I wouldn't say no. 
maybe not sparkly, maybe not purple and pink, but you know, something else. I would love that. So um, yeah, that's, that's my fun fact for today. Now, now that that's out of the way and you're knowing an irrelevant fact about me, um, let's get into the conversation that I had with Nick, of course, talking about you know, D.C. statehood and what it's like for him to be living in the city at this moment in time. Let's switch gears to what we like the main um, topic of what we want to talk about today. So to give you guys some context, I would say like Nick and I are really into current events. And like when we were planning out what we were going to do for this conversation today, we both really got excited about DC. So I think that what we were hoping to like really get into today is just talking about like DC as a city and like its potential to become a state just because it is something that is so huge. And I think a lot of the times like it gets swept under the rug because there's other things going on in the news media. Media and they don't cover it as much. Um, so yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm I'm very excited to talk about it. I don't know about you, yeah. now, but this is something that I'm very passionate about. And I'm really, I really hope it can happen for DC. But, um, you know, before we go like deep into that, I think it's important to talk about first, like what has happened, even just like to DC since the beginning of the year and like with the Capitol building. And I know you living down there, you must have like witnessed some of that stuff, if you don't mind sharing, like what that was like being down there when even this past week with with Mm -hmm. the lockdown again. Yeah, I mean, what happened Friday was just so gut wrenching and it's it's just so sad. And I don't even really have much to say beyond that there's not much else that's intelligent mm-hmm. to say. I mean, we just, it's so heartbreaking. And I know people are angry about the fence. For those who know the Hill, when you're looking at the Capitol building, the North side is the Senate side. The South side is the house side. And um, right at the bottom of the Hill is where my campaign office is. So like if I step out of my yeah. office and walk to the end of the block, I'm looking at the Capitol building and, you know, I'm straight down the Hill from, the Russell Senate building, which is the side where the incident happened. So, I mean, this is just like real and affects people's lives. And I think, you know, in the DC statehood debate, that gets lost because I think there are plenty of Democrats mm-hmm. who want the two Democratic senators. And there are a whole lot of Republicans who don't support DC statehood for those political reasons. But it's like, at the end of the day, We shouldn't be picking who gets senators based on what party those senators will be. We should be picking it based on whether or not they deserve representation. And I think I deserve representation in Congress. (laughs) Well said, well said. And well, first, thank you for thank you for sharing about, you know, like being there and witnessing like stuff that's happened with the Capitol. I know it's not easy to talk about and I appreciate your honesty and kind of talking us through that. But yeah, no, let's let's get into the, the statehood stuff. So for those of you who um, might have missed it, I actually dedicated one of my previous episodes to talking about DC statehood and like, giving you the political reasons and what the Democrats want versus what the Republicans want. So definitely check that out if you haven't already. But um yeah, Nick, let's let's talk about like some of the political reasons like why people wouldn't want DC to become a state because I think people don't realize that there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes and like ulterior motives for why you know people wouldn't want DC to become a state in this country. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna characterize like what the other side's argument is just because I don't want to misrepresent mm-hmm. it. Um, but from my perspective, like this, this has been on my mind. Um, I read an article in the Atlantic about vaccination in DC. And 
so we are just very comparatively far behind when it comes to vaccination. And there are many reasons for this. And part of it is our daytime population is much bigger than our nighttime population. And so what that means is a lot of people mm-hmm. work in the city who do not live in the city because the city is so expensive. And when you look at, you know, so like when ner- my stepmom's a nurse and she got vaccinated very early on at the hospital she works at. She lives in Connecticut. She works in Massachusetts. So Massachusetts gave one of their vaccines to her because that's where she works. And states were, as far as I understand, responsible for vaccinating essential workers who li- who work in their community. So DC's vaccines are allocated based on our nighttime population, which is the 700 something thousand. But we had to use so many of our allocated doses for people who don't live in DC, but work in DC, which is what we should do. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. what every state did. And so I'm not complaining about that part of it, but the problem is we have no member of Congress who is a voting member of Congress who's on the appropriations committee or whatever to advocate for more doses and explain this to the people making the allocations. So that just like is a frustration for me because my health and like, I'm fine. Like, but there are plenty of people like, you know, but there are plenty (laughs) of people who like do need to be vaccinated and can't. And part of the reason they can't is because we don't have someone representing us and explaining this and making the case for it. And so regardless of what your political motivation is or antiquated historical reason for opposing DC statehood, like people's lives are hanging in the balance trying to get this vaccine and we can't get it. And that's really frustrating. And so as far as I'm concerned, like there is not a good argument against statehood. Like we fought a revolutionary war on the premise that if you pay taxes, you should be represented. No taxation without representation. We both grew up near Massachusetts, Christina, like it's ingrained in our minds. And I pay all these taxes and don't have a U.S. sender. Well, honestly, thank you so much for pointing that out because that wasn't even something that crossed my mind in terms of like what COVID, like how much the people of DC are getting screwed over right now with like how things are going. But, you know, I think in honestly, maybe, maybe you might have some more um, like insight into this because, you know, in, when I was growing up and like being like naive and just getting into politics, I always assumed that like the uh, reps for like Maryland or senators for Maryland would like speak on behalf of DC and like speak up for them. Is that not something that like you guys see a lot like living down there or is it just kind of like DC has to like fend for itself? I mean, there are definitely people in Congress who care about the residents of DC. I mean, they all work here, but I think it's just like having a designated senator is so important and Congresswoman Mm -hmm. and Eleanor Holmes Norton does a fantastic job. Um, but she she doesn't have a vote at the end of the day on final passage of legislation. So that only gets you so far. And and yeah. I know you're not making this argument, but if someone were to make the argument like, oh, Maryland senators can just represent DC, one, there's no way for DC to hold them accountable because we don't vote for Maryland senators. And two, like Rhode Island is a small state, but no one's like, oh, Connecticut senators can just speak for Rhode Island, you know? Very true. And yeah, it brings up the point too. um, you know, 
like with the 700,000 people that you're talking about, like that's more than like populations of like Vermont, mm-hmm. for example, yes, or is. Wyoming. <laughs> like, like people don't realize how many people actually do live in DC, not even mentioning, like you said, people yeah. who work in DC and like use yeah. and commute there. So it, it is truly a big deal. Um, and so like be living down there and like, um, you know, getting to experience the culture of DC and the life there, like is, do you notice like people are like pushing more for statehood now than maybe like if we watched the news like five years ago when they tried to originally start the process or is it kind of like people are kind of like reserved and like yeah not sure so how they feel about it yet? I think it's definite and I don't necessarily have anything to compare it to but DC's license plate has always said taxation without representation so there's always kind of been a you know something there but I I will say mm-hmm. like as COVID happened I went on many walks and on those walks, I increasingly <laughs> saw more yard signs for DC statehood. So I don't, you know, anyone working in politics would be mad at me for saying yard signs are an indicator of how people feel. But I think on local issues, they do say something. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have seen a lot more of them recently. And I think, too, the insurrection, which was probably the worst day of my life, at least that I can remember in a long time. Like, I was sitting here in my apartment and I'm not very far from the Capitol. I'm about a 12 minute walk and hearing sirens after sirens after sirens. And to think that that like the other thing too, is like Capitol Hill refers both to the physical Hill on which the Capitol building sits, but it's also a neighborhood. There are people who live within two blocks of the Capitol building and their safety was unknown. The fact that our mayor, because she's a mayor and not a governor, was unable to activate our National Guard as quickly as a governor could have is frightening. And again, that is, you know, you can make whatever antiquated historical thing from the Federalist Papers you find, and that's (laughs) fine. But I don't think Alexander Hamilton anticipated an armed insurrection at the Capitol building in a city of 700 something thousand people, you know, like I just, that's not relevant to me. Like we live, sometimes I think, and this isn't necessarily restricted to a particular ideology or party, but we're too quick to jump on the philosophical. And it's like, this actually has an impact on people's lives. Right. And, um, you know, just to jump in quickly, there's so many points there. You said that I'm literally like, like snapping to myself. Like, I think they were so wonderful what you just said. And I'm just going to point out a few of those. So, you know, the first thing is like, you're so right, Nick, like people love to cite things that like when this country first began, like things that happened a long time ago that worked for the time then, and they want to like bring it into the now. And a lot of the times it just doesn't mix. Like we've changed in the 200 and something years that we've been a country. So like quoting, like you said, a Federalist paper is like yeah. almost offensive because you're like, how, how can that be translated to what, what is going on today? And like you said, I don't think any founding father could have predicted that something right. like that would have happened with not even like outsiders like people like citizens of this country doing that you know and trying and to I'm not the saying, building. sorry and I I just think, wanna, i'm yeah, not saying that fair. documents don't have a place in a, our discourse of course they do but i just don't think mm-hmm, like right. if that is all you are hiding behind then i would like you to consider like the real life experiences of people who live in the city that's all right yeah, exactly. And I think it, it really boils down to sometimes that like where we are today, like as a society, I think we're so 
overwhelmed with all the information we're receiving that sometimes we just tune it out. So like, if it doesn't happen to us personally, like we don't focus on it. And I think that's what comes down to the DC statehood a lot. Like it's not something people think about because, you know, they're not living in DC. Like they're not experiencing life there and they do have representation. Sure. I think they take that for granted and don't realize what it's like to not have your voice be heard within the government. And the other piece of this that I wanted to point out is like, like I said, in my previous episode talked about like the big reasons why D- DC should become a state. But there are so many little things, too, that, like, come with it as well that, like, um, you know, Nick was pointing out with the, the vaccines. Like, there are, like, there are so many things that I think that we don't think about that, like, D.C. would benefit from if it were to become a state. And just because they're not big reasons doesn't mean that they're not important. I know some, some people think it's weird to add another state to this country, but I think when you really sit down and look at all the facts, it's at that point, you're like, well, why isn't D.C. Right. a state? Like, it should definitely be one. Yeah. So yeah, again, like, thank you. Thank you for highlighting all of that. So the next question I would have for you is, what do you see the likelihood of this happening? Like, do you you think this is something we can achieve anytime soon? Or do you think we're going to have to put the work in to see? I don't think there are 60 votes in the Senate. So that is what I'll say about the chances of it happening. Yeah, I know. I, I know. I have to agree with you there. It's, I think we're definitely closer than we were before. Like, I think this, this is an issue that not just for DC, like US territories in general, like Puerto Rico, for example, like they've also pushed for statehood in the past. And a lot of the times it'll surface and then it'll unfortunately like disappear if there's not enough support. But I do notice, I don't know if you've seen this as well, Nick, that there are some politicians who now are considering it, who do have that power to add them to become a state who like weren't originally, you know, yeah, for, I think for it's it definitely gained some momentum and that's a good thing. And I'm excited about it. The way things are now, I don't think there are 60 votes. And right now that is the threshold you need to pass it. So, Right. I know everyone here on In the Isle is very familiar with that 60 number because I think when I talk about legislation, <laughs> I always talk about how it can get through the House, but then it has to always stop at the Senate because of that, that 60 that we, we can't seem to achieve. But um, yeah, no, that's that's such a great point. I mean, do you think that this is something that like, down the line we could see like i'm just curious about your your predictions of like what when you could potentially yeah i mean i don't i don't know when or anything like that but i i think it will happen and i think it will happen in my lifetime the the arguments against it are in my opinion very flimsy and i i don't think they'll they'll hold up forever Awesome. Well, thank you for your sharing those opinions. That's really great, Nick. Um, so now to to like start moving towards like the end of this conversation. Um, one of the questions I always ask my guests on in the aisle would be, you know, opposite of their party. So for you, Republican, of course. Um, could you name somebody for me, um, either past or present, who is a Republican that mm-hmm. you respect? And could you also yeah, tell me why um, that would be? I used to be a Republican. I was raised Republican and it wasn't until high school when I kind of started getting outside of the bubble I grew up in that I changed my mind about things. So I have tremendous amount of respect for a congressman named Chris Shays, who is from Connecticut. He served in Congress for a while. He lost in 2008. Um, So when I was a young kid, but I was very much following politics, I remember him. And Then he ran for Senate in 2012 and lost in the Republican primary because he was too moderate. But for those who don't know, I mean, people 
love and respect John McCain for a lot of reasons. One of them is he passed McCain-Feingold, which was arguably the most transformative campaign finance reform bill until a lot of it was gutted through the Citizens United decision. And Mm -hmm. Chris Shays, who is this congressman from Connecticut, wrote the House version of that bill. And so it was actually, I think it was known as McCain-Feingold because John McCain was a huge national figure in Russ Feingold was to an extent as well. But actually most of the bill was the House version, um, which was written by Chris Shays from Connecticut and someone else, but I can't remember who. And money out of politics is a huge thing for me. It's a really big concern of mine. Mm -hmm. And so I admire him a lot for taking that on. And, you know, it has kind of become trendy among Democrats. And, you know, a lot of Democrats now don't take corporate PAC money or things like that and don't use super PACs. And that is good. And that's important. But back in 2002, when this was written and passed, I mean, both parties relied heavily on, at the time it was called soft money and you know, is money given to parties instead of the candidates mm-hmm. directly and reforming that system. So it was really hard. It was a really hard thing to do and not easy in the least and make a difference. And another one, another Connecticut Republican I love, though he's not a Republican anymore, Lowell Weicker was our U.S. Senator for many years and he was on the Watergate Committee and he was a Republican at the time and was instrumental in bringing down Nixon and getting accountability there. And, you know, he was, I believe at the time, a freshman senator. So very hard. And he ended up, um, he lost to Joe Lieberman in 1988, and then he ran for governor in 1990 as an independent. And he implemented the income tax in Connecticut, which was so controversial, Christina. I can't even, they were literally, it was, I think it was 91 when they did it. And they had protests outside the Capitol building in Connecticut. They had oh my a God. puppet of Lowell Weicker, the governor, and they were hanging him, in F- burning him in effigy. Um, oh, my God. Like, they were chanting, like, kill Weicker. He had, like, more security detail than any governor's probably ever had. Um, and they had... Um, you listen now, there's still a few representatives around from that vote. And they talk about how they were hiding under their desk because they didn't want to vote for it because it was so unpopular. And they were hiding in their offices and he would just come in, swing the door open and be like, you're voting for this bill. And very like Johnson treatment, (laughs) like Lyndon Johnson passing the civil rights bill style of the state has huge budget issues there's no way we can make the make up this shortfall by cutting services. If we do, it'll devastate the state even further. We have to pass an income tax. And he was actually awarded the John F. Kennedy Profile and Courage Award for that. So New England Republicans are my type of Republicans nice. in general. And unfortunately, <laughs> um, Chris Shays, while he's still a Republican, is not currently on, in office. And Lowell Weicker left the Republican Party uh, to run for governor as an independent. So I don't know if they count. No, they absolutely do, for sure. And 
you're so right the new england republicans hit different they really do and they it's just um that's really great that though you know pick not only one but two that you you respect and can give some backstory there um so thank you for that the last question i'll ask you which is something that you actually um touched upon in the beginning a little bit but i just want to bring it full circle you know, in terms of somebody like in our like age group who's looking to get involved in government, if you can just reiterate mm-hmm. again why you would recommend local government and like how well, how you can get involved in that, and especially if you want to try to make a change if you're not yeah, if you're unhappy so with how things are going. Right I definitely now. think you need you know everyone wants the most well-rounded resume possible, and I think there's so much to learn from working on a massive campaign like the Biden campaign or a national campaign like that. Uh, but one of the reasons I really emphasize local politics is one that you literally see the difference being made in people's lives. And right now it's very cool because we have majorities in Congress and we have a democratic president. And so we're able to pass big bills like the American rescue plan and hopefully the infrastructure bill. But for a while there, things happened only at the local level because the federal government was very slow. And that is really where I think a lot of, the day-to-day difference in people's lives can get made. And one, th- one example I'll give you is happening right now in Connecticut. And this is a reforming of statewide zoning laws. And zoning is, for those who don't know, like what kind of buildings you can build where. And zoning laws have been used historically to essentially redline communities and have implemented essentially, in some cases, de facto segregation. That is a huge thing. And we talk a lot about redlining um, in the wake of George Floyd's murder. There's obviously a lot of conversation about racial justice. And this de facto segregation is something that came up a lot. That can only get changed at the state and the city level. And that, you know, mm-hmm. that is a very tangible, you know, social justice issue. It's being decided right now in the Connecticut legislature, not here in D.C. So, and in legislatures across the country, not just Connecticut. So I think there are a lot of issues that just require statewide responses and local responses. And often they make huge impacts in people. That's awesome. And that's right. Thank you for, for making that point as well. Um, just to get, goes to show the power again that like local and state government like can truly have and how that can honestly impact the rest of the country as well, which is something I know that like, even sometimes I forget and because we get so wrapped up in like national politics. Um, so again, yeah. thank you so much for sharing that, Nick. Um, it's been absolute awesome time having you here on in the aisle. Do you have any final things? No, you'd like I to just or share? am so excited you're doing this podcast. I think it's oh, really hard. I know a lot of people who, you know, either Trump's election or the Kavanaugh, confirmation really felt like I have to start paying attention, but it's hard for me. It comes second nature. You know, I've been my entire life. I've been living and breathing this, Mm -hmm. but that's not the case for most people. And it's hard to know where to get started. And so I think your podcast is a good intro for people our age who don't know where to start. So I'm really happy you're doing it. Oh my God, stop. You flatter me too much, Nick. Thank you so much. Um, but yeah, definitely you know, keep in touch with us here. We'd love to hear more about like what you're doing and if you have, of course, any more insight to DC. But um, yeah, I'll let you go for for today. Thank you again so much for joining us. And, you know, I can't wait again Absolutely. to hear more Thanks, from you Christina. in the future. It was a pleasure. I 
hope you all enjoyed the conversation Nick and I had today. You know, it was so fun, like, catching up with him and, like, talking about this. And, you know, as I said, like, when I was talking with him, it was really interesting to hear, like, his point of view living in D.C. and, you know, experiencing everything that he does while being in the city and especially during this pandemic. Um, so I, I really, again, really hope you enjoyed that. And I'm sure it's not the last time that we'll, we'll hear from Nick, like many of my other guests. You know, I've asked them to keep us updated. So we'll definitely let you know if there's anything more exciting going on in Nick's life or if he has any more updates about D.C. and its statehood status in the future. Moving forward, I just want to say thank you again for your patience and with the analysis not being in this episode. Um, it is still very frustrating for me and it honestly is something I wish didn't have to happen, but you know, staying on the bright side of things, I'm really optimistic that this new tool I'm going to be using is going to help so much with the episode audio quality and not having any glitches and overall, you know, just create a better experience for, for you all tuning in each week. And it's something that, you know, to, to put it into perspective, um, I was having to, to re-record episodes, you know, honestly up to three times even from, for, from beginning to end to be able to make sure that, that all the audio sounded okay. So I'm really happy. I'm really excited for this. And I honestly just can't wait to see how it's going to sound. So that will hopefully be rolling out next week. And then we'll go from there and hopefully have no more glitches. And I'll be able to, you know, create content for you all and continue with my passion project and continue having it be something that I enjoy making for you all. Now, moving on with everything that happened this week, you know, with the tech difficulties, I thought I would share what Anselm April is because I was like, you know what, I'm not going to wait to the very end to, to describe it. And I get the feeling that some of you already know, but it's called Anselm April because I am interviewing all people that I went to school with, you know, from all different grades. And it was something that honestly, I didn't plan out initially. It just kind of worked out that everyone who I reached out to this month and the people who got back to me were all from St. A's, which is so fun. And it's the first time I've actually, you know, had people from who I went to school with, you know, on the podcast. And it's really funny because, you know, if you know me, you know, like the the people I have in my circle, like all the political connections are all from St. A's. And I just think it was funny, like looking back that it took me you know, months into this podcast just to start, you know, interviewing St. A's people. So that's what you can expect this month. And the other extra surprise that I have that I'll share for you is that I have a bonus interview this month, which I'm so excited about. It was the first time I'm choosing to do three. And I find that you all really enjoy the interviews. You get so much out of them and like listening to people, you know, talk about their experiences. So I want to try to do that a little bit more. Um, It's definitely not going to be every single month because coordinating interviews is a lot of work. And I don't want to sacrifice the quality of the interviews just so that there's one every episode. But, you know, when I'm able to do more than two per month, I'll definitely try to do that for you all. So get excited. We've got a lot more coming this month. And, you know, now with the new software I'll be using, I'm hoping it's going to be a really great um, you know, experience for me as well as a great experience for you all to listen and tune in. With that being said, we will officially wrap things up for today. As always, I am your host, Christina. It's been an absolute pleasure making this podcast for you all. And I can't wait for you to join me next week in the aisle. Take care, everybody. Have a good week.